to episode 59 of the Clax Women for Independence podcast. Music this month is from Infraction, no copyright music from YouTube, and it is called Politics, which seemed very appropriate. Many, many dramatic events happening in the world of politics this week. We've just come out of a stormy few weeks with the results of the Salmond Inquiry and the Hamilton Report and the vote of no confidence. And then yesterday we had the creation of a brand new list party, Alapa, led by Alex Salmond, leading to something of a hilarious gaffe by the editors of the Independent newspaper and The Telegraph, who both tweeted that the new party had been named after BBC Alapa and they were concerned that that might cause difficulties in the upcoming election campaign. Um, guys, Alapa means Scotland. AFI have stood down in favour of the new party, so you can just feel that Scottish politics right now is in something of a turmoil. Ooh, it's all getting very exciting, so let's see if we can make some sense of it in this month's podcast. But first, a little of what the Women for India have been up to. We're still in lockdown, of course, and we're keeping in touch through our coffee Zooms and supporting each other as much as we can. So it was a real pleasure to welcome one half of Indie Live Radio's intrepid daytime show team, Valerie Gold, to join our coffee Zoom and chat to us for their forthcoming International Women's Day series of programmes. Here's how it went. So I'm here with world-renowned Clax Wifies <laughs> for Independence. I'm a great fan of you Clax Wifies. I've listened to you often and I'm quite chuffed to be here as part of your virtual coffee morning for a change. And um, the reason I'm here is to ask you for your views about International Women's Day for our special edition of the daytime show which will go out on International Women's Day the 8th of March and the campaign theme this year is Choose to Challenge. So I was really here just to ask you for your views. I think I'm all for it. It's something that we need to celebrate and kind of promote more. When I look at where we are now compared to where we are 20, 30 years ago, when I was a young woman just coming out of school and going into work, things have changed quite a lot since then you know I, I went for one job interview where they asked me was I joining this particular organization which had a uniform to find a man <laughs> and I'm like no I'm, I'm joining it to do the job that you do you know now things like that can't be asked in interviews so there have been changes made but we're still nowhere near equal yet with regards to work and life and whatever else so We've got to keep pushing and we've got to keep and encouraging younger women that they can do whatever they want to do, you know. Don't don't let people shut doors in your faces or if they do, go and find another door to open and find a different route to do things yourself. Yeah. You know that we've come a long way but there's an awful lot further to go. 
You just get a reminder of that with the lockdown. And when you think of how many households right now you've got people homeschooling their children, I would be willing to bet that it's largely the women who are both working from home and homeschooling their children. That whole responsibility for childcare and everything else Remember that phrase in the early 70s, they were saying, you can have it all. And then it's the case of, well, actually, you've got it all, but now you're doing it all as well. You're doing the housework and the work and the childcare. <laughs> but I thought it was quite interesting, the slogan, though, that choose to challenge, because it, it's almost an aggressive kind of slogan, isn't it? Absolutely, you've got to challenge things. But are we doing it in a way that's collaborative and doing it in a constructive way, constructive challenge, or are we just setting our faces against something? I, I'm not sure about the wording of it, to be honest. Give a little more detail, they see to explain it and widen it out a bit more. They see a challenged world as an alert world. Individually, we're all responsible for our own thoughts and actions all day, every day. We can all choose to challenge and call out gender bias and inequality. We can all choose to seek out and celebrate women's achievements. Collectively, we can all help create an inclusive world. From challenge comes change. I think that's really important, what you said. It's not all about criticism and attacking. It's it's also about collaboration and comradeship. Yeah, and listening and appreciating each other's views as well. That's the one thing with some of the current debate. Some of it, the amount of aggressive closing down of debate by throwing insults around. You cannot work through that and get to good outcome. You can only do that by trying to find the common ground with people and then trying to explore the differences in a way that you can all respect each other's views. And I'm not sure that that's necessarily summed up by the choose to challenge phrase. But having said that, certainly I'd rather be choosing to challenge than rolling over and taking whatever's being dished out. I think a lot depends on how you interpret it. Yeah, very much so. We're not also of an age where we've got more time to challenge in some respects than you Mm. might have had when you were um, when you were raising kids. You know. Yeah, because when you're young, you're trying to, as you say, do all raising kids. People have got maybe less time available for political activity. I remember he talked to somebody about the political party I'm in, and they were talking about their daughter. And said, well, she's very keen on independence, but she really doesn't have time to take part in the party because she's a a full-time teacher and she's got two kids. So basically, she's hardly got time to go to the toilet, never mind take part (laughs) in political activity. But, I mean, we're all of a certain age where maybe we've got a bit more um, available time to it. Mm -hmm. I think as well, younger people as well, they're maybe in in positions where they're watching what they say and do carefully because of the potential impact it can have on their career, you know? And then you you get to a stage where you're a wee bit longer in the tooth and you really don't give a hoot what anybody, you've you've had it up to here and you're like, I'm sick and tired of holding back and being diplomatic and polite. I'm just going to tell you exactly what I think and why I think it. And then we'll leave it there, you know. And I saw that with, with my grands and I see it with my mum and my mother-in-law as well. They're like, oh, I haven't got time to waste now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very important point, Lynn. I mean, I've, I'm sure we've all seen that in our careers. You know, when people are younger and they're looking for promotion, they're looking to climb that 
Greasy hole. Yeah, well, I wasn't going to say that, but yes. <laughs> They're trying to climb up and establish their careers. They have to be careful about what they see. And, and in some professions, you're actually specifically prohibited from expressing your political views. I think that there's another way of, of coming at it, though, which is something we touched on in one of our earlier discussions, I think, which is how much do young women nowadays realise how lucky they are because of all the challenging we did for the previous 30 years. And I watch some of the conversations going on now, and I really worry that they're letting things go that we worked hard for. You can see parallels to it with the whole Brexit thing and let's get rid of all the red tape. You think, well, actually, that red tape was keeping you safe. It took a lot of effort over many years to get that red tape put in place so that you didn't die. <laughs> and, you know, there's the same kind of thing with women who well, wouldn't be too quick to throw away rights that we've had to fight for. Well, interesting enough, we were making the, the comment earlier on about it being women, National Women's Day. Is, I was at an all-girls school, so you celebrated that every single year. That was incredibly important. 8th of March, is, it's not thrown away. And it's quite interesting that we now no longer have any state girls' schools in Scotland. I don't know whether that's a benefit or not. I personally would say it probably isn't, not having a choice. I went to a school. I've never been to an all-girls school, but I think there's a lot of research to show that girls do very, very well. But that's your argument for a lot of women-only spaces, isn't it? I mean, I went for two years to a girls-only school, and then it went comprehensive in the third year. And it was a much pleasanter learning experience in the first two years. It just has a different kind of feel to it, especially when you're that age, when you're 11, 12, 13, you know. It just was nicer. I used to find at work, if you had a, a training classroom that just happened to be full of women rather than a mixed one, the atmosphere is different to in a mixed class and the way they speak to each other is different. One of the things I really liked when I first went to some of the Sterling Women for India events was they would always try and encourage women to speak first because if you don't, even today, look at any event, when they throw the floor open, it's almost always a man who will speak first because that is their conditioning and we let them do that. And unless you're kind of aware of it, Not unless, you're... <laughs> unless you're us. You're very welcome. You'll probably end up in our podcast. <laughs> Clark Manager Women for Indie Group. And one of the women you heard was Lynn Dugan. Lynn is a very talented person who paints beautiful yes stones and she also writes poetry. And now you're going to hear a poem specially written by Lynn for International Women's Day We Are Women Hear Us Roar Poem written by myself, Lynn Dugan for International Women's Day 2021 with a wee nod to Helen Reddy I am woman, hear me roar I play football, see me score Create opportunities Open doors Dismiss less, demand more Teachers, lawyers, nurses, doctors. Choose your career. Be an engineer. Plumbers, pilots, architects, mechanics. More than you thought, we're astronauts. Web designers, analysts, IT technicians. Lighten your load, because we can write code. Professors, explorers, inventors, researchers. Need a revolution? We're your solution. Artists, sculptors, dancers, musicians, entertainment to satiate, we will create. Journalists, authors, playwrights, poets, if it's words you desire, 
we will inspire. We are women, hear us roar. Dismiss less, demand more. Time for us now to raise a glass to great women of the future, present and past. And just because she's one of our favourites, here is what Leslie Riddick had to say on International Women's Day. Hello, this is Leslie Riddick on International Women's Day. We choose to challenge because we dare to live full, real lives. And amazingly, even during a pandemic lockdown, it certainly feels as if we're living full, real lives. Just maybe not the ones we might have thought we would be living this year. It won't have escaped anybody's notice that we are less than six weeks away from the election, which has been described as the independence election, possibly our best, possibly even our last chance at getting another referendum. It did make me wonder whether having a peek behind what the opposition is up to might be quite instructive. So I've got three things that we're going to look at now. One is the show that John Drummond does, and he interviews a different guest every week. He had an interview with Professor Chris Watley of the University of Dundee, and he specialises in Scotland's history from the 17th century. And at the end of what was a very amicable, warm interview, John Drummond asked him whether he would vote yes. And what I found absolutely fascinating was that having had 50 minutes or so of informed discussion, as soon as he was asked that question, out came one by one all the unionist tropes. Now, I thought this was really interesting because I've heard these all before from other people, not all from the from one person at one time, but all of these things before. And it might be really useful to equip ourselves with answers to each of these because they keep coming up. And if this is what is uppermost in undecided people's minds when they think about independence, then these would be really good points to reassure them on. I mean, we sometimes think about, oh, let's give them facts, figures. Let's talk about this wonderful new Scotland we're going to build. Well, yes, let's do that. But equally, if there are barriers in the way to them, you know, even considering that kind of future, then we need to dismantle those barriers first. And I thought it was quite interesting to have those barriers laid out by somebody who was obviously very thoughtful and very open to the discussion. So here's just an extract from the TNT show with Professor Chris Watley. Let me put you on the spot, Chris. Say, for example, well, there was a referendum tomorrow. Would you, would you be on the no side or the yes side? Oh, dear, John. That's, uh, I, I, well, I would be... I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I, I'll, I'll step back a bit and I'll get round to that, perhaps. I dislike binary choices in, in, in referendums. I, I think they are deeply damaging. I, I, I am concerned, seriously concerned, about the the kind of winner-takes-all approach that uh, follows from these kind of choices. Um, and I um, still feel that there are sores in Scotland following the last, you know, as a result of the last referendum, divisions in families and in communities, which are still, still, still around there. And I could tell you some horror stories, but I, 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 I won't. And so it concerns me that I ask myself, sorry, do our politicians 
are they are they statesmen and stateswomen enough to recognize that our yes vote will hurt a great number of people that that vote will be uh, or will that vote yes vote if that's what comes about or will that be described as the, the the position or the decision of the scottish people which i think is it, it, it is i think we talked about it earlier on i dislike that term it would be the decision of a significant proportion of the electorate mm. <laughs> um, and, and and for for if scotland is to succeed on its own afterwards we will need to be to get our, our shoulders collectively behind the wheel. There will be such work to be done uh, economically and, and, and socially and in all sorts of ways to, to turn Scotland into the sort of nation that we would want it to be. But I, I have seen little evidence that um, our politicians understand that. I mean, for example, I mean, you would not know <laughs> if you'd come to this part of the country from another planet that the, 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 the no vote won the last referendum in 2014. There's very little, um, as far as I can read and hear, uh, very little recognition of that and, and a sort of uh, an attempt to, to persuade, um, to bring the people together behind um, a kind of uh, yes vote. But as I say, the binary nature of referendums, I think, militates against that uh, and that does concern me if i if i had more faith in our political class um i would be more inclined to be sympathetic to a, a yes vote but you, you you asked a question and i will answer today because i have not seen uh, any evidence of that and i have not seen any compelling um uh, response to the question about scotland's economic future Mm. Uh, I would probably be veering towards no. Would you call yourself, would you describe yourself as a soft no? Uh, <laughs> uh, mm, <laughs> well, I would need an awful lot of softening up. <laughs> but, but, but I doubt very much if I'll be out campaigning um, on, yeah. on, on the streets for, for that. But, but I would rather that the, 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 the politicians and those folks who are going to drive a, a referendum, camp, a, a, a yes campaign, if we have that, I would, I would rather they listen to people like me because there are many of us out here oh. um, who, who, who want to be taken seriously and have serious questions to Pretty ask people. about what we're going to do in the next 10, 25 years yeah. Well, we, 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 we deal with the, 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 the economic problems, challenges Scotland faces. And if, if we think that Brexit has caused chaos in, in the aftermath of, of, of where we are now and, and, and being free from, from Europe, as you like, um, you, you ain't seen nothing compared to it yet because the breaking up of a union of 300 years uh, duration is going to be an immensely difficult task which wasn't confronted at all in, in, the, in the documents we saw from the Scottish government prior to the last uh, referendum. I mean, there were, there were joke figures in that, you know, £200 million to set up a new state machine. Well, you know, come off it. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so, so, so you wouldn't be campaigning. I mean, I guess one of the predicaments that anyone opposed to significant constitutional change, and I mean hmm. uh, independence, when faced with a binary choice, it's a horrible choice. I, I completely accept your point of view, because if you if you say I'm advocating no, 
effectively you're saying yes to Boris Johnson in perpetuity. And uh, oh, no, no, think... no, 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 you can't go that far. <laughs> you can't go that far. Boris Johnson is not going to live forever. I mean, this is the other thing that we shouldn't, we've got to be careful I think, not to um, not to take too seriously the present, you know, and things that will be passive, fleeting th- issues like yeah. a Tory government, you know, um, that will not necessarily be the same for all time. Um, yeah. I very much hope it isn't. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the opinion polls would suggest otherwise, but oh, these things change. I, I, you're, you're quite right. Uh, thank you very much for that. That was very helpful, Chris. I appreciate that. So what did we have there? We had not liking a binary choice because it's winner takes all, which is fair enough. This issue about the previous referendum having divided families and communities, that certainly wasn't my experience, even though I didn't agree with all members of my family. We voted in different ways, but we still stayed friends over it. Are our politicians up to the job? And what was interesting was that later on, when he was challenged that voting no was voting for Boris Johnson in perpetuity, he said, oh, no, no, Boris won't live forever. Don't get too caught up in the present. And yet when he's talking about our politicians, it's very much are our current politicians up to the job. So some double standards there. How will they bring people together behind a yes movement? I think that's a very valid question. And then we had the old favourite, Scotland's economic future. The next 10 to 25 years of economic challenges. So certainly not thinking that Scotland's going to be better off after independence, which there's a very sizable body of evidence, particularly in Believe in Scotland, that that would be the case. And then my current favourite, Brexit was bad enough. How much worse will it be for 300 years union to be broken up? We already have separate legal system, health service, education system, tax system. Churches are all separate. What actually is the bit in the middle that needs to be separated out? And there certainly is a bit. I think all we have to do is the exact opposite of what they did with Brexit. I mean, you don't go in there throwing your weight around, telling them they need you more than you need them and... and threatening to send warships in off the coast and all all the all the Brexit nonsense that we had. So there we go, just a selection of common barriers. And as I say, I've heard all of these before. Practicing some answers might be a good idea. The second peak behind enemy lines, and I'm doing this so you don't have to, is the website themajority.scot. Strictly speaking, probably not the majority anymore, but um, (laughs) don't let them know that. This is a unionist website. On their front page, they have an article about tactical voting. This article is suggesting that there are 30 seats that can be taken from the SNP voting for the second place party. These 30 seats are those where Although the SNP won the constituency seat, they won it with less votes than the total of the opposition parties combined. So what they're suggesting, that if all the opposition parties get together and vote in a particular way, they can take seats from the SNP and have an anti-NAT, as they call it, majority in Holyrood. Now, this is interesting because the seats round about here are included in that 30 First of all, Clackmannanshire and Dunblane was won by the SNP with 14,147 votes, although the anti-NAT votes amounted to 15,599. So the suggestion is that if everybody votes Labour in Clackmannanshire, 
they would be able to take that seat from the SNP. In fact, that's Keith Brown's seat, the deputy leader of the SNP. So that would be quite a scalp if they managed to take that. Which does kind of suggest that in campaigning, it might be useful to focus on all the reasons why Labour would not be a good choice. They're also suggesting Labour for Dunfermline. Perthshire North, Perthshire South and Kinrosha, they're suggesting Conservative. And Stirling, they're suggesting Conservative. Now, it remains to be seen whether a disaffected Labour voter is willing to hold their nose and vote Conservative or whether Tories in, in Clackmanninger are willing to slum it and vote Labour. Delving further into the rather disturbing rhetoric... If their plan was to work, they say that voting tactically, the anti-nationalist parties could gain as many as 30 seats. The SNP would lose 30 seats. This would result in an anti-nat taking 45 out of 73 seats, a majority of eight constituency seats. I don't know about you, but the idea of living in a parallel universe where the First Minister of Scotland is Douglas Ross, or Murray Ross as he's now known, That picture alone would be enough to get me out there campaigning. And the article goes on to suggest that it would be far more effective if the main parties created a one-time tactical voting alliance where the parties would field only the best candidate to win in each constituency while educating their voters on the benefits of tactical voting. The Tories have already said they're interested in an alliance but Labour has been the one rejecting it. Well, isn't that interesting? Because just today we saw a letter from Douglas Ross, prospective First Minister, asking the other parties to do just that, to get involved with an alliance. And they've suggested that any objections to this can be handled by saying that it worked last time, they're all anti-nationalists, And a fascinating glimpse into the mindset. The article says, This article was brought to you with the help of our donors, ordinary people just like you. I don't think they will be just like me. Who are sick of a Scottish media that doesn't represent us, that doesn't report the news and that doesn't fight for us. That's what the Tories think (laughs) of the media in Scotland. So perhaps we don't have it that bad after all. If anybody wants to read this article for themselves, the website is themajorityoneword.scot, but I do warn you, it's pretty toxic stuff. The third source of information for us is a recent presentation by Professor John Curtis, which he gave to the Fraser of Allender Institute. And what I found particularly interesting about this presentation is that the polls appear to show that just because things are important to us as activists doesn't mean that that's the most important thing for an undecided voter. So I thought we'd just play a little clip of this and just see what you think of some of the conclusions that the polling is suggesting. It might be helpful when choosing what kind of issues to campaign on, perhaps. I'm going to go straight away to looking at the trends in attitudes towards independence. Uh, Starting in 2018, the the, the divergent outcome of the Brexit referendum uh, north and south of the border, the immediate consequences of Brexit appeared to be minimal. And even through during the year of 2018, we were still looking at roughly 55% for no, 45% for yes. However, while Parliament at Westminster was endlessly debating what should happen next about Brexit, 
Support for independence was finally rising north of the border. The polls throughout 2019, on average, yes, 49, no, 51. And by the time we got to Brexit Day, it was 50-50. Then during the course of last year, uh, for the first time, we had a whole run of polls that continuously put yes ahead. It has then more recently, as you can see, narrowed. But if you take the last half dozen polls, it is yes, 50, no, 50. We go into this election absolutely fundamentally divided down the middle on the, the central constitutional question that's faced this country since at least the 1970s. Now, you may be asking yourself, well, why the, why the devil is he focusing on independence as opposed to all those other really important economic and other uh, policy issues? Well, this is the explanation. The election looks as though it's going to be in practice a quasi-referendum. Uh, just under nine in 10 of those people who are current YES supporters say they will vote for the SNP. And virtually nobody who is not a YES supporter is minded to do so. They might be saying, oh, we're quite hanging on, what, what, what's new about this? Surely it's always the case that people who vote for the SNP are people in favour of independence and vice versa. Actually, no. This is a new position. Let me just show you the position back at the time of the last election in 2016, when again, we can divide people according to that preference in 2016. Around one in five of those people who were not in favor of independence voted for the SNP in the 2016 election. Now, indeed, if we go back to the 2011 election, when the SNP won that very unexpected um, overall majority. Well, actually, support for independence at that stage was running between 25 and 30 percent. So there's no way that the SNP got 45 percent of the vote off the back of uh, independence voters and independence voters alone. Nearly 40 percent of those people who voted, who at that stage were in favour of keeping devolution, voted for the SNP. So we are now in a much more polarised situation in which the constitutional question does look as though it is the central issue that is shaping voters' preferences for this election. And it is really the first time that that has been the case. And it's one of the reasons why my advice to unionists has long been uh, stop arguing about process, stop presuming that you can simply under undermine support for independence by attacking the SNP. If unionists are going to, uh, to um, get the SNP vote done in this election, they actually have to win the substantive argument about independence, because at the moment, those people who are convinced of the substantive argument of independence are very, very heavily inclined to vote for the SNP. Now, you may be then saying, but why are is support for independence rise in 2019 and then subsequently gain in 2020. So how, how is it that the SNP do now have this apparent cushion of 50% of the electorate pretty much on the same side as them on the constitutional question and as a result minded to vote for the party also? Well, the short answer is that there is a very clear culprit as to why support for independence has risen. So here I'm going back to, be, to before the independence referendum. Um, I'm using a different question that divides people into Eurosceptics and Europhiles. One of the ironies of the 2014 referendum, the politicians spent hours arguing about whether or not an independent Scotland uh, would or would not be able to be a continuing member of the European Union. It was a complete waste of breath 
because in the event there was no relationship at all between people's attitudes towards independence in 2014 and whether or not they voted yes or no. Indeed, actually, uh, if we go forward to the 2016 EU referendum, there was no relationship between whether people voted yes or no or whether they voted remain or leave. The 2016 Scottish Parliament election, Brexit was not an issue so far as attitudes towards independence is concerned. Um, but you will see here, the 2016 meeting here is for people after the um, uh, EU referendum. And you will then see further, 2017, 2019. Increasingly, people, uh, uh, Europhiles, are much more likely to be in favour of independence as Eurosceptics. Basically, there's, part, there's a resorting process going on. Some of the people who voted yes and, and leave switched to no, but others who voted no and remain switch towards yes. It's just, of course, there are twice as many no remain voters in Scotland as there are yes leave ones. And then to understand how that then plays out into the rise in support uh, for independence in 2019, here is the crucial graph. This is now showing you support for independence in the polls through various time periods from 2018 onwards. So yes, by 2018, uh, support for independence is higher amongst remain voters and leave voters. But notice that all of the increase in support for independence that occurred in 2019, I was still there in 2020, occurred amongst Remain voters. That's why, in my mind, there is no doubt that for whatever your views about the merits or otherwise of Brexit, that the pursuit of Brexit by the UK government is the uh, initial reason as to why support for independence uh, has risen in the way that it did. If we look at the position in 2020, or indeed now, the subsequent rise and indeed fall in support for independence during those two periods has occurred independently of people's views on Brexit. So it's not Brexit that helps to explain the more recent developments. But before I try to explain those, let me now also show you the impact that this relationship between Brexit and independence has had on support for the parties. See, here I'm now showing you how those who voted remain and voted leave voted in the various elections that have taken place in Scotland between 2015 and 2019. In 2015, when the SNP, of course, got nearly half the vote in Scotland, support for the party was almost as high amongst leave voters as it was amongst remain voters. And while the Conservatives were somewhat more popular amongst leave voters than remain voters, the gap was not that wide. In the 2016 election, which is the baseline for uh, this May, the SNP are as popular amongst Remain voters as they are amongst Leave voters. And the Conservative progress in that election occurs irrespective of people's views about Brexit. But then notice 2017. There is still the myth out there, often repeated by many a journalist, that the reason why the SNP lost ground in the 2017 UK election was because of Nicola Sturgeon's promise a few weeks pre previously to hold IndyRef 2. This is not the explanation. The explanation is that in 2017, support for the SNP fell markedly amongst Leave voters. They largely held on to their support amongst Remain voters, fell amongst Leave voters. And where did it go? It went to the Conservative Party. All of the progress that the Conservatives made between 2016 and 2017 occurred amongst Leave voters. And that's still there in the polls for this election. So now I'm comparing 2016 
with the, what the polls are currently saying. Support for the SNP is up on its position in the 2016 election. It is down on its position still quite markedly amongst Leave voters. And the Conservative Party, in contrast, uh, are up amongst Leave voters. So the truth is that this is a double existential election about Scotland's uh, position vis-a-vis uh, -vis the United Kingdom. It is also, although somewhat less markedly, an existential election, uh, election about Scotland's relationship with the European Union. Both of these things are playing a fundamental role in shaping support for the parties, and both are doing so in a way that was not the case as recently as five years ago. Okay, but what about more immediate proximate matters and how do we understand the way, the reason why support for independence went up and then more recently seems to have gone down again? Well, number one, I think undoubtedly a crucial part of this story is the pandemic. And one of the things I've quietly said to quite a few journalists during the course of the whole furore is do kind of remember while you're obsessing about who said what to whom in private meetings uh, three years ago, uh, the rest of us are actually living on public health restrictions which dominate our lives and the management of which are probably rather more important to most of us uh, than the, the, the conversations that were held uh, on those occasions. One of the reasons to how um, the public feel that Nicola Sturgeon has handled the pandemic much better than Boris Johnson, but the crucial thing is, you know, why might this have an effect on people's attitudes towards independence? Well, the pandemic has been by far and away the most important public policy challenge facing the devolved institutions. And it's also meant that because of the public health measures have been decided in Hollywood, not in, not in London, that our lives have been dominated by decisions made by politicians in Edinburgh. And that's very much where our focus has been. And of course, it's also true. The UK as a whole is working up to devolution because every BBC bulletin has said, well, this is what Boris Johnson has decided for England, but it's not necessarily the same in the rest of uh, the UK. So given the importance of this issue to voters, Given its visibility, if indeed people have a perception, as they have, that uh, Scotland has handled things better than has England, we might think this might have an impact on people's views about the independence question. And here's the evidence as to how during the course of last summer it seemed to be doing so. A couple of polls found about 20% of no voters i.e. they voted no in 2014, was saying, you know what, actually, I think Scotland might have handled the pandemic better as an independent country. And meanwhile, virtually nobody, virtually nobody who was a yes voter took the opposite view. But quite a lot of the increase from 50 to 53, 54% seems to have come off the back of that. And one of the things that's interesting now is that although indeed the Scottish government is still thought to be handling things better than the UK government, despite uh, the UK government's attempt to claim credit for the vaccine, uh, the gap has narrowed, and so also has the gap on between yes and no voters on perceptions of whether the pandemic had been handled better or worse. So that 20% figure of no voters thinking it had been handled better is now down to 16. The SNP will certainly argue that the, the best way after the pandemic will be independence. I think we can expect the handling of the pandemic will also be a central issue in the election, uh, because it certainly, I think, played a role in people's attitudes towards independence uh, more recently. Let me then take you to more uh, immediate matters, which is how voters have reacted to the Simon Sturgeon story. Uh, journalists with a, a keen interest in the story 
have been very keen constantly to ask, well, what impact is it having? Is it uh, resorting in support for, uh, for the SNP falling down? Actually, the phenomenon of interest, i.e. support for independence and support for the SNP, was already showing signs of falling before the uh, parliamentary inquiry hit the media headlines. And in fact, if you compare support for independence now in most recent polls with support for independence in January, it's basically the same. So that's John Curtis's view of the world. And it does seem to be that the three key areas that he identified there as being relevant, independence, Brexit and the pandemic. So those three things is where we need to have a good story to tell, I would suggest. There is a YouTube video where you can actually see the slides that he's talking about and he goes through it in much more detail. And you can see that presentation in the Indie Live Radio's YouTube channel. There's a playlist called All Sorts and it's in there. Well, I don't know about you, but having spent the last half hour now looking into the world of union tactics and views of the world, I feel the need to spend some time in positive company. So what about a little trip to the Clackswifey coffee shop? When neighbours popped down the other day to see about, because they're thinking of building like a garden room outside, so they wanted to come Uh and find out about the foundations Mm. that we've put in for our one. So they Mm. were out in the back garden on Monday night. I was just showing them. I said, we just built on top of the decking that was already there. So Neil Neil and uh, John did the kind of construction talk while me and Helen had to catch up. and a few interesting things, apart from the fact that I said, have you had your vaccine yet? She said, Wednesday. And I went, oh, I'm on Wednesday too, 10 past four. And she went, so are we. And she said, so is Sarah next door to us. They're obviously doing it by postcode. Yeah. So, and I met several other neighbours when I was down there. And I met one of the classroom assistants from Menstrie when I taught at Menstrie. I was just like, oh. But what Helen was telling me, well, I mean, we know each other because kids went to swimming lessons at the same time, so we go, like, kind of way back. But we were also both involved in parent council at the school, and there was always a struggle to get parents to come along and be involved, and it was the same as it was in any kind of organisation. It's the same folk that are the doers, so whether you're swimming club committee, whether you're in a political party, whether you're in scouts, it's always the same people that are doing the doing. But she was saying, she said, oh, we've had some parent council meetings. She said, guess how many were at the last meeting? Because obviously it's an online one. I said, well, it's either going to be like three or 43. And she went, 77. Wow. Wow. Well, that's so impressive. Wow. I was like, that's... That's brilliant, but obviously, because they can do it from their own home, they don't have to physically arrange, like, childcare or whatever, they can attend. And she said there would be, mum and dad would both be sitting there on the Zoom looking at things, you know, and I think they've kind of recognised it as a a point of information. The head teacher's there as well, so they can ask him questions. He gives his report and he'll give them an update. Brilliant. Hopefully, like, going forward, yes, it's nice to see people in person in the school, but you could 
still have it in the school but have it running remotely as well so mm. you can get all these other people in it's just accessibility isn't it it's just isn't it bizarre that it's taken a a pandemic to realize that actually yes you can work from home yes you can have meetings and discuss things with people without trailing to the next town now we just have to get them to recognize that having a a, 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 an id card would probably be a good idea one that connects with your medical card Mm. irritated by that and i don't know if you some of you saw the you obviously saw um leslie riddick's um uh, nation one Estonia, Estonia. Mm. Yeah. and then when you look, read the comments afterwards some people were just like oh, I don't want that people have been nosing into my that would be the state looking into my what <laughs> I'm doing they're thinking they know what you're doing anyway we're the I, only country people, in Europe people, that doesn't have an ID card unless you want to be under the radar for nefarious purposes why would you not want a card that makes your life simpler so you look at the information that's on your your supermarket <laughs> loyalty card <laughs> i'm just laughing i mean it's, yeah i was gonna say it's because when you said nefarious purposes the first thing that popped into mind was like the tooth fairy i know if you know what this means but i just thought right, here we are we're all being the fairies <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Maybe that's the effect the Jags had on That could be it. No, I reckon that you would have no side effects whatsoever. I bet you didn't. I took paracetamol. As soon as I got home, I took paracetamol and I just took it every four hours. Um, and the only, I can't even decide if my arm is slightly tender. I couldn't even see a mark. It was. I felt a tiny scratch and then nothing. I'm going, I don't actually think she injected me with anything. I know, that, that's what I came out thinking, oh, dear, she's obviously thought better of it, but... <laughs> do, you know, do you know that more people that got the placebo in the trials had side effects than the people that got the actual thing? <laughs> really? Well, there you go. There you yeah. go, yeah. Fiona, did you go to the, the Vice Plus thing? I did, yes. I can... I have scribbled notes. Do you want me to give you a summary? Or no, because they'll send out a thing. and They're also looking for an additional rep for the National Yes Network as well. I just wondered if any of our keep to keep us keep that people in the loop. Yeah. Can I just put it up on the up on the messages? Yeah, do that, Anne. That's probably the simplest way. It was only an hour, and they only meet every two months. This five yeah. for Indy and. To be honest, there wasn't a massive amount of things going on. Um, they no, get, they there did. Isn't. It's just being. It's just being in existence. It's just creating the sort of joining everything yeah. up. And they said it's perfectly all right to be in more than one network because I think we're in fourth. Yes, Clax is in fourth valley as well. Is that right or Falco? Yeah. yeah well, so I she said that's it's fine. Good to have your your fingers in lots of pies if you can use that analogy. I think it's good to be to be networking and aware of what the group most are doing. It was quite useful because there was a discussion. They'd had a they'd had a talk at the national one with somebody up from the borders and they'd said that don't underestimate how worried people are at the prospect of hard borders and being separated from family and workplaces and things. And I said, well, we've had two talks that we've got podcast versions of 
by Bill Austin, who was that customs and borders expert. And he was just so good at saying, there's no way you had a border. You wouldn't line up all your border forces along the... Got that hard. They've got it massively. I went to a constitutional unit, which, just in case you don't know what the constitutional unit is, you can get... It's a, it's a Westminster team who think they're impartial. They have the guy from the spectator there. There is a recording of it. Every single thing that you can think of, they all manage to pull out of the hat. Borders, too, mm. too wee, too poor, too stupid. Let's go for a federal option. Mm. Every single thing, and they're firing up. Can't, the Yes movement can't just sit and wait on all this. It is amazing. Once people have got something stuck in their head, you can't shift it. We know that from the reframing. I mean, we haven't got, there's been no really hard, robust research done on what people took. There's only, so far, there's only one tiny bit of research on what people took. I I disagree. Yes, Sterling did an analysis of, of who did what where we lost votes, where we, the position that we started from as well. Neil was watching a wee video the other night, I don't know where it was, but it was Peter Mandelson speaking, and he was basically ticking off the Labour Party for all the things they were doing, because they said, you're, you're making the case for independence seem so much more attractive. It was almost like, you know, when you're in a hole, don't keep digging. And we are digging. Everything we're, we're doing is just digging the hole deeper and yeah. deeper. Those of us here are very good at supporting each other's um, Facebook um, posts. At the moment, we need that more than ever in, a, in order to encourage people. And it's, uh, I don't know how we, we get that out in order to boost what is going on and what is, uh, because the, the mainstream media, the news is obviously, the, the diatribe is going to get worse and worse. We really have to be much, much more proactive and be supportive of each other. It must have been breakfast TV or something. And whoever it was with Kate Garraway, I was saying that, well, in Scotland, Nicola Sturgeon has, what the, what the guy said was, Nicola Sturgeon's given NHS staff a 4% pay rise in Scotland and of course we know this is Westminster money that they're using to do it. Do you think, do you think social media is going to be important or more important? I know it's going to be important. It is the only means of getting a message across at the moment. There are very few leaflets going out. Our own, uh, I mean I'm in the SNP as you probably know, you can't, we, we don't have the funds to send out by, by mail masses and masses of leaflets but the opposition will be doing just that and they are really ramping it up so we have to ramp it up too big time whether you look at facebook the whole time or not is is irrelevant but when you are there for god's sake like the posts even if you're maybe not reading them but the posts of friends who are posting information on things that are pro-indie for christ's sake do it because we need those ramping up the area Thing I noticed as well was I, I don't do it very often is like you know the wee story thing mm. you can do mm. that I had I had used one of the business for Scotland or believe in Scotland images and mm. put that on my story I mean there's people who like it but there's also people who view it and you can see who's viewed it so what was really interesting I thought for people that have never engaged in any posts I've put up with a political slant to them, or or not political slant, they're just blatantly political, (laughs) but there's people who've never engaged in them, 
but they were liking this wee story I had done. So, and I know Neil said as well, the one of the guys he's friendly with never makes a comment, never likes any of Neil's political posts. But when they talk on the phone, they have discussions about it. He says it's clear he's read everything mm -hmm. I've posted. Mm -hmm. So there are people out there who are who are seeing it, and maybe for for whatever reasons, it might be for their work. I mean, remember the last time there's a whole lot of people were told if you vote for independence, you lose your job because we're moving down south. Mm. Um, so people have still got that kind of in the back of their their mind. But I've seen more and more, certainly of my friends that yeah. I know a few people have just um what do you call it, unfriended me. <laughs> but, but I've got I've got way more new people than, than people unfriended me. And I'm just seeing more people beginning to kind of chip in in the comment or, or do a like or something. So yeah. when the Dumb and Dumber post came out on, on the Daily Record on whichever night. <laughs> oh, wasn't that wonderful? <laughs> as soon as I saw that picture, I thought, I'll bet you anything. Totsi's age group will focus in on that, which is exactly what did happen, which I thought was really very, very funny. So um, I, she then said, oh, well, if you're going out to the shops, do you mind getting me a daily record? I really have to see that. I really have to see <laughs> So I bought this bloody thing and uh, much to my disdain, I hasten to add, you know, I don't know when you're talking to And the lady at desk had said, oh, we had increased sales today. And I said, well, no wonder. And she was American, so she had no understanding of why we would think this was so funny. Mm. You know? So there's an explanation about, you know, the bow, 2014. It's pretty very funny. And was, was there anything pro-Indie in it, though, or was it just anti-Tory? I didn't touch it. Oh, God, of course. <laughs> Did you have to hide it, like, in your national? Did you fold it in? Like, like put it inside the national? No, enough, the national is delivered. I get that delivered, but they... Well, I would yeah. do, I go to all the unionist stuff and read it and keep up with it, because you want to know what they're... Yeah. I mean, you look at the... The kind of breakdown for independence and we've broken it down into age groups and the like the is it like 25 to 34 or something the age group is like 81 percent mm. for independence but they've still got to get to the polling station and cast their vote clark manning's very tactful of the union the football supporting type, type unionist they, they didn't do themselves any favours though when they went about and spray painted lampposts red, white, and blue and hung up bunting and stuck oh, 55 over the, the, the road signs. Mm. Well, I don't oh. know what effect that had on the average. Well, I mean, you just had to look at Flynn, went bonkers with, with COVID infections. Oh, surprise, surprise, don't know where that came from. Mm. <laughs> but it, what are we going to do about the flags though? Because I think you let them let them do it because it's pissing mm. people off. It's yeah, really no, absolutely. People off. Mm. I have to agree. I think it's you yeah. know all you're doing is just going. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's somebody posted on, uh, I think it was Twitter, and they had a picture of, I presume it was the Marl all decked out in Union flags, and then they had a picture of the, the Reichstag when it had the yeah, Nazi yeah, yeah. flags, and the symbolism. Was... It's the playbook. Trying to point out exactly what's been pushed through Westminster mm. without, without concerns for democracies.
And just to end this month's podcast on a nice positive note, I came across a TED Talk recently which was on the subject of what does it take to change a mind? This was presented by Lucinda Beeman, who actually works for a fact-checking organisation in Australia. And she had some very, it's, a, it's only about 15 minutes as well, worth having a look at. But I'm just going to play the last two minutes where she sums up beautifully um, her message for how we go about changing minds. And I think this is a really nice message. So here's Lucinda. One thing we can do is to immediately stop tearing down leaders who change their minds when they're presented with new evidence. We've got to stop calling this a backflip. The ability and the willingness to change our minds when we're presented with better information is a trait we should value and we need to applaud it. Another thing we can do is to rediscover the lost art of civil disagreement. Because disagreements aren't inherently bad, they're critical to intellectual process. They force us to defend our reasoning and they spur us on to even better ideas. We don't need to shy away from disagreements when we know how to do them well. So here are a few things you might like to try in your next argument. Make sure you're listening to understand, really, really listening to understand and not just listening for the chance to argue back. Engage your sense of curiosity. This can be really fun and interesting. Engage that curiosity and your empathy. It's one thing to know what someone believes, but it's another thing entirely to understand why they believe it. And it's in the why that we have the opportunity to connect. And when it is your turn to speak, Take the time to retrace the steps you took to arrive at your conclusion. Try as hard as you possibly can to find at least one point of agreement, no matter how small. And then, of course, share the best evidence you have. And you might want to leave it at that. Because changing a mind, whether your own mind or someone else's, will not happen on the spot. Don't try to win the argument. Instead, try to create an environment where the seed of a new piece of evidence might be able to grow. Isn't that a lovely thought to end on? Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you again next month. Bye now.